Cielo da luna, mezza mara, mamma mia, mamma redare. Set the pier upon the sea, fill your man, but just to do. Welcome, everybody, to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And we thank you all for tuning in. I'm sitting here with my padre and partner in the book, Hollywood Godfather, Patrick Picciarelli. How you doing, people? And our <laughs> millennium growing star to her own recognition in the world. Oh, well, thank you. Megan Horn. Gosh, <laughs> well, he gave you a new last name. He did. That was, well, that I, was different. Yeah. Well, you know, he's, he's helping you out in case there's going to be any stalkers. That is true. They're going to be looking for that Megan. What no one will be able, no one no, will be able find, to find me. They'll never find me. <laughs> so, Megan, we have a request for uh, tonight's show? Yes, we do. We have a request from a fan. So we once did a behind-the-scenes episode of Any Given Sunday, and somebody wanted you to delve into The Freshman. One of my favorite movies. And, you know, I just re-watched it. It still stands up as a great, great movie. I know. I saw it about two weeks ago. Have, have you seen it, Megan? I have, yeah. That was one of the first movies I watched after meeting Gianni that I looked up and saw that he was in. Well, for the people who haven't seen it, I, I, I signed a three-picture deal at that time with Michael LaBelle and Andrew Bergman, and the first movie we did was Chances Are with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Sybil Shepard. And that was mm -hmm. a lot of fun. We shot it in Washington. And then they wanted to do... The Freshman, which was interesting to me at that time because it would be an 18-year renewal on, on set with Brando, but it's now we have an 18-year-old friendship because I used to meet him at the, at the Hilton Hotel in Beverly Hills, and we lived on the same block up in Mulholland Drive. So um, reuniting with Brando, re-taking on the role of, Ma of The Godfather, with, mm -hmm. along with Matthew Broderick and, and uh, Penelope. And, but the guy also that was, we got reunited with was Bruno Kirby because he was, played Godfather too as the so, young Clemenza. So this, this was 18 years after The Godfather? 18 years after The Godfather, yeah. The, yeah well, we what, did. So what was the premise of this movie? The premise of the movie basically was a, a, a guy coming from upstate, Matthew Broderick, going to go to NYU film school, and Bruno Kirby was a hustler at Central, at the, uh, uh, the, the Penn Station. Not Penn Station. Grand the, Central. Grand Central. Central Station. And he hustles him, and he winds up stealing his luggage. And this kid's got, living on a budget. And they, they, got, they found each other, and they became friends. And they needed a guy like this to work for Brando and Maximilian Schell, because they used to have these exotic dinners that millionaires all over the world would fly into, and the locations were, uh, you know, secret until the night before. And this particular time, they needed a guy to go out to JFK to pick up this animal, which really was a Komodo dragon, but was a giant lizard. But they called it, it was a Komodo dragon coming, mm -hmm. a very rare dragon. And they're going to have a, a feast on it. They're going to cook it? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's like endangered animals it's, that they... It's a club. Yeah. And, and Sell as food items. And everybody... Dinners. And everybody was after them. Uh, Game Life, FBI, everybody was after them. But right. Marlon Brando was the kingpin of it. And Marlon Brando had the same image, same makeup guy who made him into the Godfather, into this guy... <laughs> So this was a caricature, basically, of himself. Of no, of the of Don Corleone. Yeah, they weren't trying to to to, to show he was a different character. Oh no, no, no! In fact, this was a satire, basically. Yeah, and not only that, but the only reason he did it when he read the script, he's I can't believe it. How are you going to get away with it? And the only way they got away with it, NYU Film School shows clips to the Godfather in their film school. So we used it in the same premise, but we can never say Don Corleone, you can never say Godfather. So every time somebody was about to say it, it was even funnier because Bruno Kirby said, Shh, don't say that, don't say that. Right, it was when Matthew Broderick yeah. would say, "Yeah, he looks like, and then they would, they they would stop cut it, it off. So 
Paramount thought they were going to get us. But when they read the script, the lawyers said, you can't stop them. They didn't say nothing. That's so funny. He's playing a gangster. No, he wasn't even playing a gangster. He was a guy hosting these exotic dinner parties. But the funniest thing that I found very funny was when Matthew Broderick met his daughter because he had to go to the house. And Penelope was like this hot young chick. And she was all over everybody because she could never get a boyfriend because they were all afraid of her father. So this kid didn't know who the father was yet. He didn't meet him. And they, he's showing her around the house, and they go into the living room, and he looks up to her because he's an art major. He says, that's the best copy I ever saw of the Mona Lisa. And she looked at him and says, what copy? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is the, the Mona original. Lisa. I mean, so, I mean, it was just, for me, and now, again, having my relationship with Brando, and we only shot two weeks in New York. We shot the exteriors, of Mulberry Street, we shot the exteriors, NYU, and anything we needed in the street. Then we moved up to Toronto, which was becoming at that time in 1989, the place to go and shoot films, because they gave you such tax credits from going up there. Okay. And I tell you, I loved going up there, because going up there, 10 or 15 hours a day on the set, you, you know, there was no place to go. In New York, I used to get distracted, go out at night, get no sleep. This way, you were on the set, and I basically ran the club. I had a, the easiest job in the whole movie. I ran the club where they had the dining room. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, so, it, was that was that a set or was that a real restaurant? No, that was a set. No, we okay. built that. And what I loved, as as most of us seeing the movie and who didn't, I, I recommend seeing it actually. Yeah, it's a great uh, movie. Yeah, and and. and to have Maximilian Shell and these people. And I was out, you know, walking the streets when we shot a lot at night. And I would just cast, I was out casting the movie every day because <laughs> we needed all these young, beautiful women in the club to be with all these wealthy guys. When you see them setting it up, these are like dignitaries from all over the world. And they all had arm candy with them, three or four gorgeous girls. So that, that was my deal. Me and Michael LaBelle, we'd go find the women during the day. Hey, Who's tough the job. Somebody's got to do it. Mm -hmm. But the, the funniest thing, during the two weeks, the whole rumor, everybody knew what was going on. So I get a call from Joe Watts, a very good friend of mine. We grew up together. And he said, uh, I, I need a favor. I said, what do you need? Anything, John? Joe? He's well, Gotti knows that... Brando's going to be in the neighborhood tonight, and he'd like to meet him. So, you know, I always had a hot and cold relationship with, with Gotti. So I said, yeah, no problem, because I figure if I do Gotti a favor, that's a step in the right direction for me. Hmm. So now I go to see Brando, because he's staying up here in the Elysee Hotel. He loves that hotel on 55th Street. And he says to me, we're going to shoot Monday night down in Mulberry Street. I said, yeah. He says, uh, I want to meet John Gotti. I said, well, let me see. I don't know. I already knew you wanted to meet him. <laughs> so I said, hmm. let me see if I can arrange it. So this was perfect for me. So his set call was 10 o'clock at night. So he, he came in early because Dick Smith took two or three hours to turn him into Marlon Brando. Again, Don Corleone's that image. So yeah. he came in early for makeup. Because his set call for camera was 10 o'clock that night. We were going to shoot all night, which they like doing that because then, you know, nobody's on the streets. They got the streets and block them all off. So we make an arrangement to go to the Ravenite at 9 o'clock on a Monday night. That now, was that was Gotti's private. That was, that was the clubhouse. Yeah, it was the clubhouse. Well, it wasn't his. He took it over when he took over the reins. It was the Gambino clubhouse. In fact... A very close friend of mine, Joe Lafort, Joe the Cat, owned the building. So, and he was a big earner for the Gambinos. But Carlo, that was he created that Raven Eye Club. And O'Neill obviously was the underboss of the Gambino family. Was there every day, and the old man would come in. But uh, John Gotti ran it like you know, 
He'd wave to the FBI agents across the street because they took all the apartments across the street filming everybody was going in and out of that. And he demanded you come down there. He, he was not, you know, a quiet boss. He wanted you to come to the Ravenite and play homage to him. So they knew everything that was going on. So long story short, the AD, the assistant director on the movie, for people who are not in the business, gave me a radio and I was going to walk Brando down here at 9 o'clock, and he was going to come out at 10. So we walk in. Obviously, I'm bringing Marlon Brando to, to Little Italy that in itself. He got shot on Mott Street that night when, he, you know, when his, uh, Paulie set him up, when he was with his son Fredo. So he was a, a common face in that costume down there. It was like... The real Don's coming back to 18 years later. It's, yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous, the mobs that were out there on the streets. Yeah. So we get into the club, and I never saw John be this gracious to anybody. He immediately got up. They hugged like they were old friends. They started talking, and they, they wanted privacy. So we were like, you know, 10, 15 feet away from them. They were in the back. So and Brando a, is in full Don Corleone makeup. Yep. Ready to go to work. <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly on that wall. Man. Oh, with oh yeah, right? Or at least the picture. Yeah. With the two of them. And, you know, the only thing, uh, we, we, nobody could take a picture because John didn't want to be, you know, and uh, I don't okay. know. But, but I, I, thought, I thought for sure somebody would take pictures. Yeah. Well, and I have the, that's a great picture just have on the rear of the wall. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Because he, yeah, right. he didn't know what his history was going to be. He thought he was going to live forever. Surprise. So now Brando <laughs> starts doing magic tricks for John. And John's like a little kid at a kid's party watching this guy do magic tricks. I didn't even know Brando did magic tricks. What, he had done cards with him or something? He had cards. He had does coins. Does all yeah. the stuff. I mean, he had all the stuff on him. He was good. No, he was good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now the radio's buzzing me, and they're saying, we need number one, we need number one. Ten minute, ten minute call. So I lower the radio. So now, <laughs> 10 o'clock, they call me again. So I go outside, because I, I you know, these guys are going to get annoyed. So I go outside, and I says, we need them. We got like 50 people down here ready to shoot. I said, well, you told me to set this up. It's set up. I said, why don't you come down and come and get them? Kids, are you going down there? <laughs> so Brando was an hour late. He went to the set at eleven o'clock. Oh my god! It cost the studio maybe fifty, sixty thousand dollars just for because you did, man. That's crazy. So, so, so uh, God, he owed you one. Oh yeah, but that didn't mean nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he, he, as I recall, when we were writing the book, he he was gracious to you for once in his life. Oh yeah. Oh no, no, yeah. he was yeah. for setting it up. Right. Yeah. But uh, when you start thinking about how the, they had the power of getting him to do this and convince them, because he wanted nothing to do with the Godfather. Most people don't know this. When he got the Godfather, he needed the work. He got $250,000, which was not a lot of money for Mona Brando. Yeah. And But with perks and everything else, with his, with his royalties and, and his uh, residuals, once he peaked, at, once he got to a million dollars, he's peaked out. He gets nothing. And look where the movie went. That's why he never came back for two. He, he never came pissed. back for three. He was pissed. But yeah. to do the spoof on it and get away with it, and uh, we're all sitting down, they gave him $12 million to do that. That was the major part of that budget. That was a... Oh, yeah. The, it was almost an independent picture. But how much could they, they paid uh, uh, Matthew Broderick? Oh no, that was not a, uh, that, was, that was a big budget film. That was oh, Warner was, Brothers. Yeah. These were all Warner Brother films. They did a three okay. picture deal with Warner Brothers. I mean, okay. the next one we did was Striptease with Demi Moore. That was a big picture, and that was the, uh, the height of her career. Yeah. And uh, they, they spent a lot of money on that because I was basically babysitting Demi Moore which was a very hard job to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, like I said, somebody's got to do it. And we, yeah, right? and we wound up putting her right down the block from my house on 61st Street because she, you know, living with Bruce in Beverly Hills with the kids. But she wanted to come here 
because she wanted to go to all the top strip clubs and learn the craft. So I, I could talk about it now because statute of limitations is gone, and I don't think I'll be working for Warner Brothers anymore anyway. <laughs> but so I called the property manager up here at Warner Studios here. I said, she wants to go to these clubs. I said, you got to give me at least $2,500 in cash tonight. He said, why? I said, you can't get, you know, a VIP booth. We need money to give the strippers. I'm walking in with them anymore. I ain't putting it on my credit card. So they used to bring me an envelope, because I live up, right up the block from there, with $2,500. And I'd find out from her where she wanted to go. I knew every place to take her to, because there's only four or five top guys. No, and they were controlled by the Gambino family, because years later, there was a big bust on that. Yeah. So I'd call the club and say, listen, guys, I want VIP, booth. I want the, the club money, because you buy club money. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I know. So they buy club money. And so I parked the 2500 at night. <laughs> how, how many clubs did you go to? Oh, my God. We, we got to be, Jesus, probably 10, 15 days we spent in clubs. That's a, that's a nice payday for you. Hello, just walking yeah. around money. But... Now it gets stronger. She is getting so enamored with these girls. We put a pole in her suite at the Regency Hotel, Corner Park Avenue, 61st Street. And we'd come home at night with these girls till daylight to teach her how to dance. And I'm telling you, I never seen anything like this in my life. Demi Moore... They had a 40-foot trailer travel everywhere we go on the set. And we shot most of it in Florida. Because while she was doing striptease, she was training for G.I. Jane. That's a good movie. She was in great shape for that. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, I mean, we were supposed to be talking about the freshmen, but to be around these people in this way it was such an experience for me. Because I was only in the business, you know, from 71 to this particular time. Here I'm back on the set with Brando. My next film after that, I'm with Demi Moore. It's like crazy. But, you know, and, and, and even Bruno Kirby. Because, you know, Bruno Kirby to me was such a nice kid. He and died really young. Oh, my God. Well, he, he died at 57 years of age. I thought he was younger than that. Well, he looked younger than that. Yeah. He always looked, always like looked the, young, yeah. The, you know, the perpetual kid. Right. Yeah. He had leukemia. I never knew that. He died of yeah. complications of leukemia. But you would think in this day and age, you know, it, uh, it it's crazy. Johnny, you know what's something funny that I noticed was that the release poster for the freshman is an image of Brando in the Don Corleone type look. Oh, yeah, they marketed it. pinching Matthew Broderick's cheeks. I know. Like the is thing that you supposed did with to me. be a remake of the image that you're in? Yeah. That everybody exactly. knows pretty well at this point? No, I mean, it's, it, it was so many great things. You know, for me, it, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, it's... Uh, but that is supposed to be... Yeah. Kind of like a remake of your image. That's right. so funny. No. But, I mean, all, all of that stuff that, you know, I experienced, fortunately, it's like... And then seven years later, you figure that's when John takes out, seven years later, Paul Castellano and becomes the Don. That's how he got to that. How long did it take to shoot that movie? We took uh, three months. Wow. We only did two weeks in New York. The rest was up in Canada. It was fabulous. So tell us about the part that you had in it. I basically... I really I had no part. They 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 were mirroring a lot of things in my life. I was the maitre d of the club where they had the dinner, so they they made it like State Street again for me. And the the biggest thing I thought was great. They had Burt Parks, who we all knew from Miss America, Atlantic City. He had the Miss America contest every year on national television. Yeah, for years and years. For years and years, and they got. Here she is, Miss America. They changed the lyrics to the Komodo Dragon. So instead of saying Miss America, he would sing the Komodo Dragon. It was like That's funny. the stuff they did in this movie was genius. And that and Michael uh, Andrew Bergman wrote this and directed it. Mm -hmm. He's a great, great actor. So that was wasn't a real. 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pat. Uh, that wasn't a real Komodo dragon, was it? There is no such thing as a Komodo sure, dragon. Sure there is. Well, it's a, well there it, is, but it's, 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 it was it's, a different it, kind of yeah, it's lizard. Yeah, an, an extinct animal. Okay, because they're, they're rare and they're vicious. Right. Yeah, very well, vicious. Well, I'll tell you, even a, the size of guy. This... There was a guy in Vegas uh, about four or five years ago who had three of them, and he would take uh, take pictures. They were all over the Internet. He had these Komodo dragons eating stuff out of his hands. They were all over him. These were his babies. And one day he did show up for work, and they went to his apartment. The dragons were there, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Wow. They ate them. How they big? Ate, how big? Ate. How big are they? The real ones. They're big. They're, they're really huge. Big. Yeah. yeah, they're huge, and but they 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 attacked them all at once and they devoured them. Wow. I guess they weren't his babies. Wow. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. No, oh, they were Asian. They were Asian water monitor, monitors, is what they were called. Those kind of lizards. Okay. So big lizards, but not a chronograph. Yeah. Well, you couldn't get them because they were extinct. It's, mm -hmm. well, uh, and, and just the funniest thing when uh, the the one scene I remember that we shot over and over and over was that they wanted to parade the Komodo dragon on a big tray. Remember the four people carried it out of the yeah, kitchen right. to yeah. walk it through. Well, the you had you had to sedate it, and the trainer wouldn't let you sedate it. It's abusive. So they finally like gave it sli uh, smelling salts, so it would just knock them out for a period of time. We had three of them. They had to make wow. it up. They had to put makeup on it. And this guy. So it started out. It started out as a squirrel, and they put makeup on it, <laughs> and it becomes a. That's, these, people, these makeup people are amazing. You know. They are incredible. incredible. That's the only movie I ever heard of where there was a stand-in for, for a Komodo dragon. They're three dragons. They're, no, they're three giant well, lizards or whatever. Whatever they were. They were. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you, 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 what were they called? You, you found out? The Asian water monitors. And they brought them in. They, they flew them in with the wow. guy. But Matthew Broderick, I think, was amazing in that, too. Mm-hmm. Johnny, was there something about a line that you were supposed to have that ended up getting cut? Yeah, there's a line that came to me, and I was arguing with somebody. One of the customers didn't like their tables. And Brando comes to me and says, Carlo, you're still hollering and yelling at people. <laughs> Which I thought oh, was that's great. So funny. Uh, oh, was that but, written, or did he just do that off the cuff? No, it was written. It was in the script. Oh, that's really funny. So, uh, but so they didn't want to have any connection to the Godfather? And that's what they thought. Legally, yeah. they thought they used the character Carlo to this. Now we're getting yeah. too close. And they yeah, invested all this close, money in yeah. it already. But uh, I really had nothing mm -hmm. to say in the whole thing. I got a big paycheck. Yeah, right. You were you were there. You were definitely visible, but that's you didn't, didn't have any lines. Nope. Yes. Smiled a lot. You had a nice tan, too, if I recall. You yeah. did. You had a very, very deep tan. And a great Armani white dinner jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Good contrast. So, yeah. I know from what you've said, Brando was definitely a bit of a prankster on set. Did he have any he did, antics oh, yeah. on that set? Oh, yeah. You know why? Who's bigger, bigger a prankster is Maximilian Schell. You remember the Maximilian Schell? Sure. I mean, he's such a great actor. What were they doing? They were practical jokes. I mean, they were, they, they, Maximilian Schell, I don't know how, he, he caught a rat, a major rat, on the set. And they put it in a pot on the stove because Brando used to walk around like, you know, he's really looking. And he opened the pot and a rat jumped out. A real rat. I mean, this, oh, my gosh. I mean, these guys are nuts. What, I mean, what else? Do you, do you call anything else? Not really. I mean, he, he uh, Brando was being Brando because, you know, he likes, you know, heckling people. And he had a line to give a guy who had to answer him. And he wanted to talk to the guy. He says, bring him here. Because he walked through the restaurant and he was doing greetings. He's the host. And so he tells the guy, he says, when I say this line, you better be ready. It's okay. And the guy's walking around saying the line, saying the line. So every time he went up to the guy, he said a different line. <laughs> and the guy was waiting for his cue. And the guy didn't want to say, uh, Mr. Brenda, this is the wrong line. How do you tell Mr. Brenda you got the wrong line? I mean, yeah, it, right. it was just that kind of ridiculous humor, but it was fun. They, you know, it was perfect for me. But, uh, hmm. but you know, it's, uh, and Burt Reynolds took it like it very serious. He was singing to Miss America. 
singing to the dragon. Every time the dragon moved, his head, he'd jump back. It's got, we did, just him coming down those steps. I don't know how many times he, he did that, because if you remember, he was like on a, a rise with the band with him. And then right. when he yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, just stupid things. But it's a, a nice film to be from, and I hope we gave enough to this guy. What, what did you find out of, of stuff that's uh, Megan or Pat? What? Well, I have another question movie. for you. What did you have to do with the production of that? Were you a producer on that film as well? Yeah, but that was just not. I was getting. They wanted me to make sure a Brando and here, but I'm happy, and so they got. I was on the whole film. I was there okay. for three months. Hello, doing did, nothing. Did he do anything after that, Brando? Yeah. Yeah, I think didn't he do? Uh, I think he did. When was Apocalypse Now? Well, when was uh, the, uh, the Freshman? Oh, oh, yeah, when was the Freshman? Freshman, well, yeah, 1990. It was released in 1989. We made it. Apocalypse Now was before that. That was 79. Oh, yeah, way before that. Yeah. I don't know. I never followed his movie career after that. I don't think, I, I don't I think he did much. He did after that. I mean, he was, he was busy before that. I mean, right. after The Godfather, he was getting a lot of work, right? Because I recall he did a couple of westerns and... I don't know that, to be honest with you. Yeah. I was, I was too busy doing other things at that time. Yeah. yeah. Read the book if you want to know what Gianni was doing. Yeah, hello. Staying mm -hmm. one step ahead of everybody. Just about. But anyway, interesting stuff. No, wild. So, I don't know what else we can fill this with other than... A... Uh, just, we can just go to the mailbag. We're good. Yeah. How are you feeling as well? You have some questions? All right. Yeah, we can go to it. Let's, let's do it. All right, so first we have from Aaron. Aaron says, has Gianni ever heard about mafia activity back in the day in Steubenville, Ohio? It's Dean Martin's hometown, and I've always heard that back in the day it was called Little Chicago because of all of the whorehouses and gambling. It's a dump now except for the campus of Franciscan University. We're only about an hour and a half away from Patrick and less than an hour away from Pittsburgh. I know Gianni likes to attend Mass, and the university has a wonderful Mass three times a day during the school year, if he's ever close by. Thank you. Okay, great. Well, yeah, you know I, I, about Steubenville, I, Ohio? I know a lot about Steubenville, Ohio. Are you kidding? Steubenville, a, a lot of major guys. One guy, well, first of all, D. Martin, as you said, came from there. He was a, an amateur boxer fighting under the name of Kid Crockett. And, how did he get that name? <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell you how, how crazy he was. He used to go in the ring. Davy Crockett was very popular. He wore one of those hats with the tail and those fur hats. Oh, the coonskin cap. Yeah. And a couple of uh, nice guys, wise guys, uh, I, I, know, I can't say this name because they're still there, the family's fourth generation. They had legal, uh, you know, had a lot of hoo houses and gambling in, in Steubenville, Ohio. And he was a dealer. Who well, liked Martin was a dealer? Martin was a car dealer. Because yeah. he wasn't making it as a boxer. They liked him. They had his nose fixed, the mop. And they got him a job at, at the, the 500 Club in Atlantic City. Skinny D'Amato owned it. And how they... Do you ever hear the story of how... D. Martin and Jerry Lewis became a team. Yeah. Somebody got sick that was coming in as a as a headliner, and D. Martin was going to be the opening singer for that headliner. Jerry Lewis was a headliner, and Skinny D'Amato asked Jerry Lewis if he'd stay another week because the headliner was supposed to come in, and D. Martin already had the job. So they get together. That's when Jerry Lewis put on the white waiter's coat and they has Dean starting to sing and they put this whole thing together and they became Lewis and Martin after that. And Jerry said, I, I understand, I'm the star, you're not. And Dean, like, you know, he threw him out the window. Dean was a tough guy. <laughs> and then when they finally broke up years later, the movies which, which made them, they started making those big movies. And then Jerry got stupid and they broke up. Look where he went, D. Martin, compared to Jerry Lewis. But that well, all happened in Jerry Lewis City. is famous in France. That was his claim to fame oh, after huge. his career died here. The French loved him. 
I remember Nat Washburn. Figure out why. I couldn't figure out either because I knew Nat Nat Nat, Nat Washburger. His, his son, yeah, no, <laughs> his son Patrick Washburger became the uh, the president of Lion Gates Film, but his father and grandfather were the biggest exhibitors of film in Paris. In fact, I did a film right after The Godfather that his father financed called Le Châtiment, The Punishment. Now I'm on my way, I land in Paris, and just before they had the gateways, you come down the steps on an airfield, and all these photographers are coming. So I'm saying to myself, who's on the plane? My film was at the George Sunk, which I co-starred in right after The Godfather, with Karen Schubert. Karen Schubert made her debut in film with uh, Liz Taylor's husband, Burt Reynolds. She was a big Richard French, Burton. Richard Burton, right. And she became a big star. This film, I think, would work today. I was a, 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 with the mob, but the guy, his whole crew were gorgeous women, all hookers. And they infiltrated all businesses, the White House, senators, and they had pillow talk. And he this sell, was a French movie? Yeah, great movie. No, it became out no, it came out worldwide. Oh, it did? No, yeah, it, was called the pen, it was called the punishment, but it could really, really work. But uh, so I got off the plane and they were all there for me. I didn't know the film was even released in Paris first. Yeah. That's, that's, that's nice getting a reception. Oh, yeah. But they, consider, they considered uh, Jerry Lewis an icon. Like he oh, my God, yeah. One of the best actors that ever lived. Right. They have acting schools named after him. Yeah. Well, well if you ever needed an ego boost, which he always did. Oh, my God, yeah. Go to Paris. But, but mm. and, and he's the cheapest guy in the whole world. This guy's crazy. I, I don't know why anybody liked him. I never well, liked he, him. He uh, uh, left his own son out of his will. Oh, I know. I guess he, he he didn't believe in the old adage, you can't take it with you. I mean, well, no, what he, he did, he see, m most people don't know, Jerry remarried early on, later on in life and had a baby girl. And okay. the girl got everything. The wow. son's got nothing, nothing at all. Oh, what a shame. He That's moved crazy. To next. All right, next is from Nathan from Australia. The best nonfiction book I have read is Sean Levy's The Rat Pack. Have either of you read the book? And if so, can you share your thoughts? P.S. My great-grandfather on my mother's side was a prize fighter who also collected money owed to colorful Sydney identities during the 1920s and 30s. I only met him twice. Having listened to your podcast, I do regret not knowing more about his history. You two are living history books, and I thoroughly enjoy my weekly fix of the podcast. Well, I've been called a lot of things. Well, you're a fix. Never a living history book. <laughs> not only, I, I, thought, uh, I thought you meant I'm fix. A, I, I like now, that. Now you're a, a fix. Word. I, 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 the time somebody I, insults me, I'm going to say, hey, you're hey. talking to a living history book. There you go. That, that'll shut him up, right? There you go. Anyway, yeah. did you ever hear of that book, Johnny? Nope. Me either. Next. All right. <laughs> I mean, it was yes. so much written on the Rat Pack. Oh my God! Yeah. That you know, books, books, articles. Well, when when Frank went to Australia, we all know that, or maybe you don't. He went to Australia. They paid him a lot, a lot of money, and he badmouthed every columnist, every show he did. They wanted him out of there. Really? Oh, Australia didn't take kindly to his his. Uh, what did they call it? His nonsense, you know, coming here and insulting us. <laughs> Never invited back. Huh? I don't think so. I know he had a, you know, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, the uh, author of that Dorothy Kilgallen book, Justice Denied. Oh my God, yeah. Big sections in there about the battle, Dorothy Kilgallen. Oh my God, he columnist, hated her. Those of you who don't know, with Frank Sinatra, they, yeah, you know, she didn't care. Man, she of course, job, he hated hey, sells papers. That's all. Yeah, he hated her. And I oh, think man. I think he liked the controversy too. He always picked on newspeople, so there's big stories about him all the time. He, but he would insult them in his act. I know. Oh, yeah. keep it going. Yeah. Oh, he kept oh, it he, going. Yeah. He never let it go. No. But uh, anyway, it, uh, interesting question. And uh, yeah. Uh, Don't know. No answers for you, unfortunately. But... No, I'm sorry. But uh... what, was the book written there? Was it an American published book? Or I'm sure Australia? it was. I mean, probably. Was a, you know, the Rat Pack was an American. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the movie uh, Ocean's Eleven was basically built around a Rat Pack. Oh, that's what it was about. I mean, that's 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 what, yeah. 
Which is a great movie, by the way. The remakes were a whole different thing. I mean, it was a heist movie. But I think George Clooney did a good job and he he and put a good crew together. Yeah. Yeah. But the uh, the original I just saw a couple of weeks ago. I can watch that. You know, it's like uh, looking at a part of history. And me being a living history book, I like that stuff. Yeah, of course. But the the, the funniest thing I could never figure out because I was I was there during that whole filming, and they would do two shows a night, eight o'clock, twelve o'clock. And then they go film during the day, and I was saying, "When do these guys sleep?" Apparently, not often. Yeah, because they they shot that while they were working down there. Yeah, the only guy that was in that movie that wasn't part of that in group was Richard Conti. Right. Yeah, the rest of them were part of the Rat Pack. Right. I, I, I see the movie all the time. It's on every couple of years. You know? But I, I so often wondered, good. even with the Rat Pack, what did Peter Lawford do in the Rat Pack? <laughs> Well, he, I, I, I think they put him in there because of the Kennedys. Of course they did. Yeah, yeah but I mean, got, and Joey, it? and Joey Bishop was never. It was funny. another one. Another, not that funny to me. No, never. So was. between the the real talent was Sammy, Dean, and Dean Frank. And Frank. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I cannot tell you how I had somebody over here the other night, and I had probably every Sinatra song ever recorded. Somebody gave it to me as a gift. On a little uh, a moped or whatever they, those original things you just put in the in play it. Would that be a thumb drive? No, 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 no. It's actually a player. You can plug it oh. in. Plays everywhere. You okay. go. I go to hotel rooms sometimes. You can just put your phone in there. Moped. What, I, what, I, I don't even know what it is. I'll, I'll show it an to you. Later. What I is don't know it? What you're talking about. But anyway, it has thirty-seven hundred Sonata tunes on it. Wow. Wow. Stuff that we recorded and never released, but it's a great history if you want to. I listened the other day for six and a half hours while I was just sitting around the house doing things, but some of the tunes you never heard of. But uh, it's crazy. That's great. All right, next is from Barbara. Barbara says, love the podcast. While listening to it, I feel like I'm sitting around the table with family, hearing their stories, eating and drinking. I enjoy every bit. Can you talk about the kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr.? If not, I can respect that. I can talk about it because it was a farce. This kid, and I'm, I'm, I'm very close to a guy that was babysitting him, paid to babysit him, and uh, he was performing in the lounge, Frank Jr., at the Frontier Hotel. And I had my own TV show at that time called Welcome to My Lifestyle before I made the movie, The Godfather. I was buying so much airtime with my jewelry stores and all that. They said to me, why don't you do like, you know, Thursday night, the movies, and you host it. Host it from your house. I said, well, this is great. My ego, I always wanted to be in this stuff. So I I get Frank Sinatra Jr. as one of my guests. So I go to the hotel with my camera crew and all this. And, and you know, obviously, you knew who I was through his father because, you know, he'd come to Caesar's Palace and and then before that with the Sands, he was a kid. But they, he knew I was around. So I wanted to interview him. And, and the guy that was watching him, how do I remember this name? His manager at the time was Tino Bazzi. That's a great name. Tino Bossi. Tino Bossi. Wonder what he did for a living. No, he was an agent. Legit. A legitimate agent. That was Frank Sinatra Jr.'s agent. And the guy that was around him was a guy called Joe DiCarlo, who I think just passed. And he was around to watch the kid. Like his bodyguard, his father took care of him. And so I go with a camera crew to his suite. I said, here, I'm outside the suite. Inside, here is Frank Sinatra Jr. We're going to find out how is it to be Frank Sinatra Jr. And I didn't know he hated his father. (laughs) Really? So we had a relationship? None. Not till later on in life when his father gave him a break. He was his conductor. He got high in most places because his father was in town. Yeah, Yeah. So... He went on and on and on. I said, what's a typical day in Frank Sinatra Jr.'s life? He said, well, I had my breakfast now, and you know, I'm, I'm probably going to go out to the desert and shoot cans. I said, what? 
Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I don't like sitting in the sun. I'll go out for a while, take a walk, and I got a twenty-two rifle, and I'll probably take some cans and shoot cans in the desert until I'm bored and come back. Oh, oh. that's interesting. Yeah. That's that almost sounds like a Robert De Niro interview. Yeah. So that you know? I had to bail myself. <laughs> I had to bail myself out. So now we come out. The way I opened it is why I come out of the room. And I said, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> I said, so who, so, so who snatched them? Guess what I did, though? I said, if I was Frank Sinatra's kid, I'd be landing Lear jets on the strip, have showgirls in my room. The guy sitting in the room by himself. He came up with this idea to get kidnapped for notoriety. He didn't it have it. Nobody wanted to talk to me. He had nothing to say. Yeah. And it worked. His father went nuts, but everybody knew right away. Because Frank sent a message through major people, and they found out right out it was a hoax, and they tried to. So he did it out. all for attention. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's sad. It, it, it happens a lot. The oh, guy, no Chicago last year, Jesse, whatever his name was, Smollett. Oh, that guy. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He, he he got indicted again this time on felony charges. But he I think tried, I hope he, he goes tried to get through. the case thrown out last week. The judge didn't throw it no. out. Wow. He didn't but, throw it. Uh, out. Anyway, the, 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 these guys, as I recall, back in the recesses of my memory. They didn't do much time out of this. No. They, 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 it's a kidnapping case, federal. I know, but I think they had to sweep it under the rug. They did what they did. I think they got them on a weapons charge. Everything was dismissed and hush-hushed. Because, you know, the, the kid's career would have been over with. Sinatra, the, the elder Sinatra knew right away, right? Oh, yeah. Right away. Who wants him? I, I, I recall uh, when it happened. I mean, I was, I was young. And I, right. I thought, you know, I was a kid at the time. I thought, right. hey, this is legit. Yeah. Hmm. Well, now we know. Now you know the real story. You know, <laughs> yeah, <hello>. writer. <laughs> Who was that? There you Nathan? go. There you go, Barbara. 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 Well, I, I remember when Steve Wynn's daughter, Kevin, got kidnapped. Now, that was a smart kidnap. The guys who did it. Kidnapping. A real kidnap. And these kids were ridiculous. He paid the ransom. Just give my daughter back now, and I'll throw in more. These idiots, that's why his chief of security was the head of the FBI at the time when they scored, daughter got kidnapped and retired two years later. He hired the guy. Yeah. These idiots went down to San Diego. They bought a Ferrari. Who bought this? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. And they're on the payroll of the valet parker in his hotel. How dumb. They, they, uh, I assume they got a lot of time. Oh, my God, yeah. I think they're still doing it. <laughs> I mean, that's well, the first thing you learn. Don't spend the money for oh, a yeah. while, anyway. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, they could have drove to prison in a Ferrari. It's very nice. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, next is from Alex. Hello, Gianni, Megan, and Pat. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Thank you, Gianni, for sharing your life and stories with us. I find your stories fascinating. I'm always reading up about the mob on the internet all the time, but I can never get those stories that you share. And I think that is so amazing. I hope you continue the podcast and wish you luck. My question is, what was Frank Costello's favorite drink? Drink? Mm-hmm. He, he liked Dewar's. He was a scotch guy. I don't think he did. Did he make Dewar's now? Yeah, sure. They're still Dewar's, yeah. But he, I mean, I've seen him drink almost everything. He had martinis. The guys he hung out with, first of all, were society people. Walter Winchell, um, oh, the other writer. We just talked about him. Uh, remember you said he just passed on? The, oh. The cop and his father. Ma Billy Martin. Oh, Billy Martin. Yeah. Billy Martin? Okay. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. But I mean, so they he, he was a host, man. Champagne, yeah. you know, girls came in. Like, I've seen numerous times where they come to the Copa Lounge when, you know, give them what they want. He didn't care. He was a, a great host. Hmm. Makes me right. want a martini for some reason. Me too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right, next one is from Jason. Jason says, Gianni, how often do you re revisit Little Italy, Manhattan? I'm sure... It has changed significantly since you grew up there. But do you still feel at home? And how about you, Patrick? Go ahead, Jenny. Well, I go there all the time because, I mean, I, DiPaolo's, my grandfather carried me in there on the corner of Mont Grand. And they opened, I think, in 1890. It's probably the best 
Italian grocery store in New York City. The family still runs it. Ferraris is still there. I mean, so to me, and I'm, most people are going to be shocked because I live on the Upper East Side. I walk down there when I want to. That's go. a trip. That's about four miles, right? Yeah, just just under four. Well, I, I try to do four to five miles a day. Yeah. So I walk down, and then I, you know, I get inebriated. I sit out outside of Lamella's. Or, well, you, Megan, you know my routine down there. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the Cannoli King is a very close friend of mine. So, I, you know, it's uh, the Palermo, the Palermo uh, coffee shop. But I remember the first time I went down there, uh, back to New York, with my sons. They were nine and seven. And uh, they were used to, and I hesitate even to use the word, but used to Italian food. In the restaurants around here, oh my god! Which I'm I'm in a, I'm located about an hour south of Pittsburgh, and I, I took them to restaurants that my father used to bring me to. Of course, Angelo's. Angelo's you know, they places there time. when my father was a kid. They're the best. Yeah. Uh, the turn of the last century. Yeah. Anyway, they got spoiled in like an hour and a half, and they hate all the <laughs> I hate all the restaurants around here now. Well, it's but funny I, because I I, I I I gave them the tour. No, it was I, fun. I, and I, I, I think you know, in Italian heritage. If you yeah. have the opportunity, well, not even Italian, like Megan and Jake went over there and they, they had a great dinner. Oh, yeah, that was delicious. I mean, it's yeah, an we went to Lamella. Yeah, it's an experience. It's the best Chinese restaurants, too. There's so not many a, of them. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, Sam Woe's. You, you ever go to Sam Woe's on Mott Street? I went to Sam Woe's was about the size of a bathroom. Yeah. And it was it was uh, the best kept secret in in, in, in Manhattan. Yeah. And they were open twenty four seven. Twenty four. And you got real Chinese food there, not the chow mein, and right. you got the real stuff. And we used to go there after the bars closed. It was four o'clock in the yeah. morning. Well, that's why even with food. Vincent's, people don't realize Vincent's yeah. was open twenty four seven every day. Yeah. Uh, but on Martin Grand. You know what ruined that? The, the, this, this particular restaurant in the movie Manhattan that Woody Allen produced, wrote, and starred in. At the end of the movie, he's lamenting about about the city, and he talks about the ten best things about Manhattan, and one of them was Sam Woe's restaurant. Oh wow! Well, that lasted like three weeks after that immigration came down there. Oh, <laughs> they, oh they, well, you know what, what? What it was with the, the Chinese restaurants in in, in uh, Chinatown? They used to switch wait staff a lot to stay one step ahead of immigration. Of course, you know they'd be working in one restaurant one day, and then a whole crew would shift to some other restaurant and be replaced. They did that, but they, there they were did, lines yeah. outside that. Actually, lines outside of Sam Woe's, six tables in the place. Right. Everybody, you know, from Scarsdale came down there because they wanted to eat the place that Woody Allen said was great. Ruined the place. Uh, they were closed within a year. Oh my well, god! I love that place. Wow. But anyway, uh, literally, it's getting gentrified to an extent, but you still see the old neighborhood there right. if you know where to look. You know what I like? I was just down there before uh, what's happened here with this coronavirus is that uh, Angelo's burnt down by a, a fire. and the, And the daughter and the son rebuilt it. It's, it looks like it, it originally did. Forest green, the doors, everything. And then yeah. they couldn't open because of... They were supposed to be open for the summer. So they opened it and couldn't open it. Well, they rebuilt it and couldn't yeah, open yeah. it. Now they're waiting. Oh, it's a shame. I don't know. You know. I don't know how many people are going to go to restaurants and sit like we used well, to. Well, I tell you, I don't think this place, is go uh, this country is going to turn out to be normal until there's a vaccine. Oh, yeah. Well, fortunately, yeah. they're not that fast. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's a downer. Any up yeah. emails in there, maybe? Hmm. Well... Yeah, next one is from Carla. Carla says, Gianni, is there anyone from the Godfather cast you wish you had kept in touch with? Um, a lot of them are gone. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. I, I mean, I I have a, I had a great rapport, and just, I still do, I guess, with De Niro, Pacino, but they, 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 both of them are not, you know, warm and fuzzy people. They're not coming over your house for dinner on Sunday. <laughs> so, I mean, and really nobody else. I mean, I like the old timers. You know, Richard Conti, I really got to like. But they, they were really... What regular I, guys. Regular actors and, yeah. you know... Not what about Richard, uh, uh, Richard Castellano? Who played Richard Castellano was great, but look, he yeah. died early also. Remember, he right. got the, the... Once he got the superintendent, that, 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 I mean, the, the super... Remember the TV show he got? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, and you know who I saw a lot of, but he passed on now too. Was uh, um, oh man, 
He died just before me. He was. <laughs> You're still Wait, here. in real life? In or the Godfather. Where? What are we talking about? In the Godfather. Okay. No, uh, what's his name? Oh. This is going to bother me now. What part did he me play? Me too. He, he played. Remember, he says to, to Tom Hagen, Tom, tell Michael, I really oh, liked him. Abe Vagoda. Abe Vagoda. Yeah. Abe Vagoda. He, he lives three blocks away. You see him all the time here. Yeah, everybody thought uh, uh, you would read in a paper like every other month that Abe Vigoda died. I know. In fact, this went what, on for years. <laughs> Let, I'm serious. Let him he was ancient, he was yeah, ancient you know then. That they thought. But how yeah. old was he when, he, when the, the movie was made? Well, he he looked old then. Yeah, but he wasn't, obviously. No, no. But when he went, he also starred in uh, that t uh, TV sitcom uh, Barney Miller. Barney Miller, yeah. Like 20 years later. Right. And they really looked old. Right. And that was in the 80s, right. the late 80s, when, when the, right. that, that TV series was on. And it was like a running joke. And well, Letterman... show up every now and then and say, I'm still alive. Oh, oh, my No, God. but Letterman used to have an annual event for him to come just to talk, talk so he's alive. And he just walk on stage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm serious, baby. There would be an article every now and then. A yeah. couple of times a year, April Goda died. And he actually really so died, bizarre. I think, last year, right, Gianni? He passed yeah. away last year. Yeah, he was just, in his 90s. Yeah. But wow. he looked like he was in his 90s when he was in his 60s. That yeah. was the problem. <laughs> he was in his 50s, oh, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. Oh, but it, he, he seemed like a great guy. He oh, like yeah. The nicest That's man, funny. too. Yeah. And very good sense of humor. Well, how to be. I mean, you open up the paper and you read your own obituary. Yeah, hello. And, and, and can laugh about it. Instead of telling people to stop, you just let it go. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. hysterical. Oh, that's good. All right, boys. That's all I have for tonight. Okay. All right. Well, I think we did another great show. It's only my personal opinion. We'd like no, to I, hear I, from I, all I, of you. I would agree. Oh, yeah. good, good. But keep the cards and letters coming. Keep sharing. We need reviews. We just want to keep it going like you want us to keep it going. Thank you for saying that all the time. But we really appreciate you as much yes, as we you do. appreciate yeah, th Thank you so we much. Because uh, we, we also have a good time here. Oh, yeah. So otherwise, oh, we wouldn't be otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Uh, you got that That's right. True. Okay, folks. Right, have well, a good thank night. you. And Bye -bye. let's have that martini. I am. <laughs> I'm on my way. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.